Today is officially the first day of Advent, and, and maybe you came anticipating that we were beginning our Advent series, and I hate to disappoint you, but we will, we will start that next week. Um, we will have four full Sundays together during, during the Christmas season and a, a Christmas Eve time, so we'll be able to, to make our way um, through the, that time of Advent. So we'll have one more week in John but this couldn't be a better passage than one that points us to Jesus in a, a true, emphatic way that he is the one that we are to look to and find our identity rooted in. It's a passage about really finding, finding identity. Um, and we live in a time and a place in a world that um, is trying to find identity in all sorts of things. And uh, we read this passage and we find great hope that we can look to Jesus Christ and find life and truth. Even as I looked to this passage this week, um, I, I was in my, or I guess last week, I've been working on it a couple weeks, being gone last week, but um, in my Bible app where I um, work on my sermons and stuff, I, I found a note um, as I put notes in to the passages and type little notes in. There is one from this passage that I had put in, I don't know, a while back. And I thought it, it brought a good summary to what we're going to look into and just the, the few words that I had written a while ago. And I thought it would be good just to start out. So today, unfortunately, I'm not sharing a, a story or an embarrassing moment or I don't know, whatever today. Um, we're going to just dig in. And this is what I wrote a few years back looking at this passage. So this, is, this conversation with John and his disciples emphasizes the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ, and the great joy and fulfillment and life. Life, and when we're talking about life, we mean true, eternal life that's found in Christ, found in Christ and not ourselves. That's the difference. Our life is found in Christ and not by looking in, we cannot ultimately fulfill our greatest joys and desires. We're not the source of our joy. We're not the source of our desires. Life doesn't come from within, but from Jesus. That's where our life is found. Amen? We cannot ultimately fulfill our greatest joys and desires. And instead, we think of that exalting self always falls flat in the end when we exalt ourselves, leads just to self-destruction. Um, we're created for worship, and that object of worship is not self, but God. So we, we see this in this passage, and yet we do live in a cultural moment and day that exalts self um, above everything. There's an exaltation of self-fulfillment, an exaltation of complete autonomy, an exaltation of individualism, exaltation of self-rule, really guided by our own feelings um, and not guided by any kind of outside standard of truth, but just what we feel our culture says is what we should exalt. I was reminded of that in the last couple of weeks. I listened to an interview by um, a gentleman named Carl Truman. Um, he's a very um, thoughtful, um, smart Christian thinker that um, is able to look over kind of the culture and changes throughout the last um, number of years. 
and he points to that one thing, that this, this, this exaltation of self and authority of, of self um, above others and above kind of any kind of outside standard. And anyway, that might be a book we dig into during a, a Calvary Institute. He wrote a book called A Strange New World that I recently ordered and want to dig into. So it's good to look at this. And here we see that John, he understands, John the Baptist understands the supremacy of Christ and that we were created to find fulfillment in him alone. Um, that's where our joy is found. That's where our life is found. And that's what we're, we'll see in this passage. And as we look at it there, we need to first slide, just look at the setting. What's going on here? In the first few verses, it just gives us kind of the context of what's happening. And hopefully it reminds us as well a little bit about what is happening. Verse 22 says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So here the Apostle Paul, the, the disciple Paul who writes this gospel, he's writing, and if you remember, he's writing about these beginning ministry, the beginning ministry of Jesus, and he focuses uh, a lot on this initial ministry in Jerusalem and in the Judean area. And we have learned about that he's gone into Jerusalem and he's cleared out the temple. He's come in and he shows his authority over the temple there, over worship, and he calls them to right worship. And then he has this one-on-one conversation with Nicodemus and he calls Nicodemus to be born again. He talks about this new life, that we need new spiritual life. We need a newness that only can come through Jesus. And he talks with Nicodemus. And then he leaves Jerusalem, we see, But he he doesn't go too far. He doesn't go all the way up to Galilee yet, where the other Gospels, it enters into the Galilean ministry. And we'll get to that too in the Gospel of John. But he goes into the Judean countryside to the rural areas. And then it says that he remained there. He remained there. Uh, Maybe your Bible, your translation says that he tarried there. So you see that Jesus, he wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a rush. He lingered with his disciples in this area in the countryside, ministering in Judea. And as I looked at that word, just of remaining, of tearing, of lingered, I thought to myself, and we are not a very good lingering and tearing people, are we? (laughs) And we're all about getting it done in a busied way. But there is much health and growth found in lingering and remaining, uh, remaining with one another, remaining doing the work of Jesus not rushing through things. So he remains there, and Jesus begins this ministry of, of baptism in this area. And we don't have a lot of details about this ministry of baptism, but we do see later on in John that, um, that it was actually his disciples that are baptizing there, that Jesus is leading them in that ministry, and they're the ones baptizing. And we don't know all the specifics, but it appears that he's taking up the mantle from where John the Baptist uh, ministry is, is leaving off, and he begins and he continues with this baptism, probably a baptism of repentance, calling them and the people of God to turn back to God, to turn back with a true heart of worship and following the one true God. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see something similar to that. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, it talks about John the Baptist and what was his message, what did he preach, and it said that he preached to repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then later in Matthew 4, 17, then Jesus, what did he preach? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here Jesus really affirms in his humble way, affirming 
the ministry of John the Baptist um, and his message and his ministry is called to turn back to God. And so there's baptism that happening here. And then verse 23, John also was baptizing. This is John the Baptist baptizing in Anon near Salim. So he is baptizing still as well in this area. And we don't know exactly for sure where this area is, but it was a place with lots of water, a good place to have baptisms, right? And people were still coming and being baptized. And it says that this was before John um, had been put into prison. Um, And we'll maybe talk about that a little more on another day. But um, we know that John was this bold preacher of the gospel and even called out rulers, called out King Herod in his sin. And he ultimately was in prison. And then later um, he was killed. But this hasn't happened yet. So these things, this is a setting We have John the Baptist still baptizing in his ministry, and then Jesus and his disciples beginning a similar ministry and calling people um, back to the one true God. And then we have this conversation, uh, verse 25 through 26. And in this, we see um, this root of of, uh, this wrestling of of identity of the disciples of John the Baptist. And we we see if we were to to put a a point to the the broken identity is found um, in self. If we want to find an identity, it's not to be found in self. But that's a, a broke. Oh, yeah. Siri's gonna start talking to me. Okay. All right. Can I give this to you, Nathan? See. No. <laughs> I'll let you deal with her. Yes. Yeah. Something went wrong. All right. I. Yeah. That's, that's why I like to use paper. <laughs> so, um, so, so point one, a broken identity. Anthony, if you could, could move that in. So see this, verse 25. So now a discussion arose between, John, when, between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So, so we have John's disciples and a Jew that comes in, and some debate arises regarding purification. We don't know the details of what's going on, but um, these young disciples are just ready to get into a debate. And if you've known any young um, guys in seminary or in Bible school, they love to get in a debate. And so I can just imagine it didn't take a whole lot. And, and they were drawn in and they're talking about purification. We don't know the details, but purification has been a little bit in the background. And in John, as we saw when Jesus uh, turned the water into wine and they were at the wedding festival, and Jesus uses, he has them take these six stone jars that were used for purification, these huge jars that were empty, and he fills them up, and, or the, the servants fill them up, and he turns them to wine, and a little bit in the background, some think we have this picture of these empty jars used for purification, maybe pointing to some of the current spiritual state of the Jewish people, a dryness that's there, an outward washing and not um, genuine in this or in inside out type of washing that was needed. So maybe some of this is going on, but um, we see that it turns quickly from a, a theological discussion quickly to a, a discussion of a, kind of an alarm of some things that are happening. Maybe in this discussion, somehow it comes up that Jesus is baptizing as well, and people are going to him, and they didn't know about it. And the alarm bells go off. And the disciples of John, in verse 26, it says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, 
He who was with you across the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So in the midst of this discussion, this comes out, uh, Jesus is baptizing and everyone is now going to Jesus. So the alarm bells again go off in the minds of the disciples um, that they are, people are, are leaving there's an alarm. The ministry of John, it seems to be decreasing. Um, this isn't the way we thought this would go. If you remember, um, when we talked about the ministry of John the Baptist, uh, from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 5, it talked about how there were just tons of people coming out. It said, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, going out to John. So Crowds and crowds of people going out to John the Baptist. And now all, and I'm sure they're exaggerating a bit, because there was, apparently there was still ministry going on with John. And they go to John and say, though all, everyone is now going to Jesus. You know, that one that you said is the Lamb of God, they're going there now. Things are changing. There's fear in their hearts. Maybe there's wounded, a little bit of pride that's welling up, a woundedness. Uh, the crowds are leaving us. Oh, no. Uh, so maybe some envy. Um, someone else's ministry is increasing, and uh, envy kind of creeps in as they see that John's decreasing and Jesus is increasing here. But that can happen. Um, we know that, that feeling of stirring when we compare and we look to others. Uh, the great... Uh, theologian and Christian artist Matthew West. He's not really not a great theologian. I don't know. He says this in a song. Um, Comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, I'm sure he's not the first one to say it, but that's true. Um, the thief of joy are an old German proverb that I read said, jealousy eats nothing but its own heart. And we see a little bit of that. There's this comparison, a jealousy that stirs up and like what's happening here. Uh, there's unease here. There's an envy creeping in. And then we struggle with that too. We can easily struggle when we see the success of others or we look at others, we compare with others. And that envy can creep in. We have um, on, on our phones very near um, a, a whole place to look and, and compare all the time, every day. And that can creep in. Uh, and we struggle. I think we struggle a lot more um, to rejoice with those who rejoice than we do with to weep with those who weep. Weeping comes easier than rejoicing with those who rejoice. And sin, really, it can cause us to turn in on ourselves, right? And to focus less on other people. And again, we have a culture that calls us to exalt self, um, to turn in on self and hold self and inner feelings as our greatest authority. And that doesn't help with any of this. It doesn't lead to life, but it leads to despair. It, it steals joy. It leads to eating out of our own heart when we look in to find meaning and to, to find um, authority. So this call that we're going to have to turn to Jesus, it isn't a call. It isn't a, a killjoy type call, but it's a call to fuel joy in Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know how, how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. So Paul looks at his life, and he says, I know what it is to have like a lot, and I know what it is to have nothing. 
He says, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. So again, his hope is in Christ. His hope is to look to Jesus. And that's what we're going to see here when temptation comes in to despair that things aren't going as we think they should. So verses 27 through 30, we have identity that's rooted and found in Jesus. A joyful, humble, and whole identity that's to be found in Jesus. And as we look at these verses, we see within them some subpoints that we'll have of just things that John points out as ways that we are to, to think about ourselves and about Jesus. And the first one is in verse 27. We see that all we have is from the hand of God. All we have is from him. So verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So he just begins and points out, I would imagine that the disciples of John, they were expecting a little bit of a different response, right? They were like, we're letting you know this emergency thing. We need to go into emergency mode. Maybe they were a bit surprised. And John here, he could have as well. He could have allowed his emotions and feelings to rule the moment, right? It's no doubt there might have been a little bit of, of envy that might have crept in. But he doesn't allow his emotions to rule the moment, but looks instead to the rock-solid and changing truths of God. And that first truth, again, is a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven, from God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says it this way, similar way. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Saying all that we have is from God. Even if we have um, built a great empire, a great business, a great whatever it is, God has given you the strength and even the breath to breathe that you might be able to do that. He could take it away in a moment. Uh, all that we have is from God or James 1.17 that says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Come down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So I'm saying all good gifts are from our God. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. There's some favorite verses for me over the years. But God, he chose the foolish. He chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We see this, even just this reminder that uh, God chooses the foolish, the weak. And when we're honest with ourselves, we're reminded of our weakness and our need and that all that we have is from God. And even in a moment, I think hopefully yeah, during that time of, of COVID and all that lockdown, all that craziness, that we recognize how fragile our systems uh, that we rest in are. We need Jesus. So John knew that all he had was from the Lord, including 
the disciples that the Lord had given him, the disciples that he had, the opportunity to lead and to teach and to disciple. It was from God. Those who came to him that were baptized, it was a work in the hand of God. The breath he breathed, the life he lived was all a gift of God. And not just the life and the breath, but um, by God's providence, even the ministry that he had was by the hand of God. And he was reminded of that. I think, too, we can find rest here. We can stop running about wearying ourselves, doing things in our own strength, in our own ways, in our own self-authority or whatever it might be. But we're reminded that all we have is Christ. Um, It's by his hand and his providence. As we think about God's providence, too, as we think about the hand of God and his providence that moves and and works and uses us and that all we have is from him, it's still, it's not a call to be lazy. It's not a call just to sit back and do nothing. But God calls us to do work and join him in what he's doing and to trust him in what he's doing and trust him with the outcomes of what he's calling us to. So he calls us and we're called to rest, though, into the providence of God. We can rest, that he's in control of our times and of our circumstances, of our cultural moment. That we can, excuse me, we can rest in him um, and know that he is God. We don't have to be in control of things at work or in our neighborhood or in our parenting or grandparenting or whatever it might be. We can rest in the providence of God. There's a lot of grace that we can find here being reminded that all we have All we have, it's not of us, it's of him, and we can rest. And then verse 28, we see John say, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent, but I have been sent before him. I am not the Christ. So we're called to understand that who we are and and really who we are not. Here, this call to understand who we are and who we're not. And to understand that we are not the Savior. We are not the Christ. As John says, we too are the same. We're not the Savior of our world or of ourself or those around us. And this isn't the first time we've heard John say this. If you remember back in chapter 1 when some of the religious leaders came to question John about who he was. He said this in verse 20 of chapter 1. He says that he confessed, John did. He did not deny, but confessed. So he, in this emphatic way, says he confessed, he didn't deny, he didn't confess. He's totally saying, I am not the Christ. And here he reminds the disciples again. You remember? I am not the Christ. I'm still not. Jesus is. So John just is adamant. He freely and clearly confesses he's not the Christ. He's not the anointed one. He's not the Messiah. He's not the prophesied Savior who has come to reign as king in the line of David. He's, I'm not that one. Instead, he's one that points people to the Messiah. He's a forerunner of the Messiah. He's not the light, but he's one that points to the light of Jesus. He bears witness to the light, if you remember. And he's not about being worrying about becoming prominent and big and famous. And that can happen in our lives where we think, hey, that's probably the goal of my life is to be big and famous and well-known. Or maybe as a ministry, begin a ministry, or as a church, to be big and famous and fast and efficient. And we're reminded, no, that's not what it's about. We too can declare and be reminded, I am not the Christ. We can find rest here. I'm not the Christ. 
I'm not the savior of my world or of my family or uh, of anything, <laughs> my culture, but I rest in the one. I point people to the one who is the savior and the rescue. As Jesus says, we'll say in, in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Can apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. James Montgomery Boyce, a, a pastor and author of, of old, he says, if a man will believe what God says about him, he will admit to what he really is and will enter by faith into what he should be in Christ. We're reminded who we really are and what we are called to be, and we find that in Jesus. Or as Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. It was by the grace of God that is within me. So there's a problem with exaltation of self. We, we fall short. We fall flat. We ultimately, um, even if we don't feel it at the moment, we're people in need. There'll be a moment where our bodies fail or our minds fail or memory fails. Um, can't rest in self. Self-exaltation, self-rule, it's not the answer. Following our heart is not the answer. Uh, being true to ourselves, authentic to ourselves is not the answer. Because if we're honest and if we look in um, at our heart, we struggle to even love the people we love the most. <laughs> uh, I don't really want to be authentic to that. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Our culture needs to know that. People around us need to be told that, encouraged by that. There's hope there. Verse 29. Our joy is found in Christ um, as we look to Christ. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now John the Baptist, he spoke at times apparently, as we see this, like Jesus. Jesus used a lot of parables and, and metaphors. And last week I was at church and the pastor was speaking about that. And I was reminded how... How when Jesus spoke, probably there are times, I think even here, like the disciples of John, probably they looked at one another and they were like, I don't know what he just said. <laughs> um, we, need, uh, we need a little help, but uh, John sometimes speaks that way. And maybe it's a, kind of in that uh, vein of tearing and remaining and lingering. And um, maybe sometimes we need to be told things that we have to think about for a while to understand but John here, he gives this illustration of a bridegroom and his friend. Maybe we'd say his best man. First, he states the obvious. The bridegroom um, who has the bride, uh, 
he's the one that has the bride, and he's the one that marries the bride. It's kind of obvious. We have the bride and the bridegroom. So at a wedding, at a wedding feast, our focus is upon the bride and the bridegroom. The best man is not the focus of the ceremony. (laughs) And his joy, his joy is simply to stand by the bridegroom and hear him give his vows to his bride. And his joy is found here, and his joy is full, he says. His joy is caught up in the joy of the bridegroom and the bride together. Now, uh, in my 20s, I was in a lot of weddings as both groomsmen and, and best men. And um, I didn't marry until I was 29, and so I had a lot of friends before me that um, went, and I got married before me, so I went to a lot of weddings and was part of a lot of them. And, um, and nonetheless, I still found a lot of joy being able to stand up with my friend and, and watch as his joy was found and that bri- his bride coming down the aisle and I found joy in there. Now, no doubt it was a time and opportunity for self-pity, and that crept in from time to time. But, but there was sure a whole lot more joy when I just focused on the, the bride and the bridegroom. Or it could have been uh, at some of those ceremonies if I decided, I think I'm going to make this ceremony about me this time around. And instead of wearing the, the tuxedo or the suit I was supposed to wear, I went out and got a bright pink or a bright yellow one to stand up there and just beam and just be the center of the, fo- of the attention and the focus of the ceremony. But you know what? That would be insane to do that. That would be humiliating for myself and for the whole um, bride and bridegroom and the whole party there. No joy there. So John says, therefore my joy, the, the joy... This joy of mine is now complete because he finds a great joy in the Messiah, the one who has come for his bride, for his people, for the church. So I find joy here. My joy is complete. The Messiah has come. The Savior's come for his bride, his people. And he finds joy. He finds joy serving Jesus and pointing people to Jesus because he is the hope. He is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the light. And his joy is rooted not in self, but in Jesus. And that's true for us today. Our joy needs to be rooted not in self, but in Jesus. Because we try to seek to find joy in self. It will fail. How is is our culture doing with that right now? Are we a people that are happy, that are stable, that are functional? No, instead we have um, even young men who um, go out in anger uh, and murder dozens of people uh, month in, month out, week in, week out. Um, something's missing. Jesus is missing. So John, he wasn't worried about being made great, being made famous, being well-known. Uh, we live in a culture, again, that wants us to be about being, self, being um, self-made influencers, social media influencers, and be about us. And that, he wasn't worried about that. He was not looking to get praised, but looking for Jesus to be praised. He was okay to fade into the background for Jesus to shine. The question might be too for us, are we okay serving like that? Are we okay serving um, one another in that way? Are we okay serving even in Calvary Kids in the background? Maybe um, you don't get noticed a lot or taking that unseen task and just serving and loving and caring in the background taking care of needs that maybe no one will ever know that we took care of, and making Jesus not ignorable, not ourselves 
uh, non-ignorable, but making Jesus non-ignorable. There's joy found there. Joy looking to him and his authority in our life to speak and allow him to speak in all areas of our life. There's joy there. There's rest that we can find. There's such a rest here and joy here and grace that's found here when we stop trying to, to make it about ourselves and we are able to point to Jesus and point people to Jesus and find our humility um, in Jesus. And then verse 30, the final statement of John. says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And really that probably should be that last point. It should just probably say he must increase, but I must decrease. Can't say it much better than that. Called to to make much of Jesus, to make Jesus non-ignorable, as we say to make him increase, and that we, we decrease. And these words, these are probably the last um, recorded words that we have of John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. Uh, maybe even in your, your text there, and it may have quotes, end quotes there. And the verses 31 through 36 seem to be more of a commentary of John the Apostle um, as he thinks through these things. So John finishes and he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So John's, his ministry is changing. He continues to press on though. He continues to serve the Lord God. He continues to point people to Jesus, but his his role of prominence has changed. He has a different role and he takes a different seat, but he's okay with that. But he can still, he still faithfully presses on and faithfully serves Jesus and points people to Jesus. And as I was thinking about that, there's times even in our life, there's different seasons in our life where sometimes we're called to lead from up front and lead out. And then other times where God calls us to different roles, maybe to back to the back room, to the washroom, to clean floors. I don't know. Sometimes he calls us to pray in our closet at home, uh, completely unnoticed and unknown by others, but still faithful. So we shouldn't be disheartened if God even changes the roles. As long as Jesus is being made great, we can rest in him. So these should be regular words on our lips. He must increase. I must decrease. And there's great life found here. There's great hope that's found here. There's great joy that's found here than, than trying to make much of self and trying to, to look inward to find hope exaltation of self, it's just not going well for us uh, as a people, as a culture. And here even, uh, as we call the focus on Jesus, um, it's not um, that of even, well, I think in the opposite way, as we think about focus on self, it can easily turn in um, to where we just just despair and even self-hate creeps in. But when we look to Jesus, when we look to him as our Savior who's risen, um, we find great hope in him. So as we enter even into this um, holiday season, may we be reminded of where true identity, who we are truly called to worship, who are we are truly called for, and where our identity can rest and be secure. It's in Jesus Christ, the one who came uh, and suffered and died and rose again for us. Let's pray. Dear Father God, uh, we thank you for these passages that 
speak timeless truth. Speak to us and remind us through the example of John where our identity rests and be reminded that all we have is from you and that we can rest in that, uh, find hope in that. Lord, help us to find our joy in Jesus. Help us to find not our joy in our own running about and wearing ourselves doing this or that, but resting in Jesus Christ and his finished work for us and be reminded if we've turned and trusted in Christ that, that we stand in a place that have no condemnation in Christ. So Lord, help us to be reminded of those things. Help us even in this season to, to grow in pointing other people to Jesus that we might find hope and help in life. Lord, we pray that you would help us even to be uh, messengers of truth, that we point people to the light of Jesus, even in our culture that has redefined um, authority, which has redefined self, which has redefined meaning, uh, redefined love, and uh, is coming up the other end more broken uh, than ever. And Lord, help us to be able to, to point people back to Jesus and to the light that shines into the darkness and is never overcome. So Lord, help us in that. And I pray all these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue today and